This is Brian Bailey from Charlottesville, Virginia, and I'm joined with Mark Sweeney from Windermere, Florida. We are your guides to this episode of In the Hunt. We are going to bring clarity to this complex game of golf and help you reach your next level of performance. So if you're ready to step up your game, join us on the hunt. This episode, we're going to call it The Balance. There's a balance in scoring, as always. Distance off the tee relative to fairways hit, amount of greens, and how many in positions. Conversions of in positions in P6. There's definitely a balance, a harmony into scoring. And in this video, we're going to really dive into the insight on the balance it takes to become a great scorer. Welcome to this week's episode of In the Hunt. Uh, this is Brian Bailey here in Charlottesville, Virginia, and I'm joined with Mark Sweeney in Windermere, Florida. It's been, I guess, a crazy election week. So, Mark, what's going on and what are you up to? Uh, I'm, I'm settling down after the election and doing a lot of uh, actually taught a lot this week, had, had a bunch of good players come, a, a good corn ferry player, two, a couple of good juniors just got off state championships um, and done done some really cool uh, work in front of the computer for simulations that will at some point will get to uh, <laughs> reveal. But but uh, really fun kind of cutting edge stuff that that we haven't seen anybody do before that um, I'm real excited about. So. You know, you know, I love my skunk works projects, and this is definitely one of them. We definitely got a lot of skunk work projects in the background <laughs> yeah. right now. So, uh, you know, the beauty of 2020, 2020 has been crazy. 2021 is going to be a lot of fun on the game forward side um, with all these things coming together. So uh, I think uh, the, the interesting thing today is we're actually kind of taking past podcasts, past seminars and information you've gotten from us and basically members in the system that really understand the GFI. We're going to take some of that information and actually apply that to a player. And this player, of course, we have deeper information. We have a lot more, uh, you know, thanks to the PGA, we have a lot more data on him. So we're going to be able to dive in some different categories. But we're going to be talking about Brian Gay. And thank Brian, first off, for allowing us to use his information. But, you know, I think the interesting part is, is this case study is kind of Brian meandering over the last couple of months or even kind of the tournament season. And he jumped up here and won and actually saw a quick change in his trends and what he was doing. So, uh, Mark, I'm going to let you dive in here and uh, start sharing some information. Yeah, thanks. Uh, just a little background on Brian. You know, he'd won four times in the past. Historically, very good putter, very good short game and very accurate off the off the tee but about average distance. Um, and so we looked at his GameForge data two years ago when he had a really good year, won a couple million dollars that year. And, you know, he had kind of maximized where he could go with his with his his length, right? So there was nobody on tour who made more money than he did at his length, right? I think he hit it 289, something like that, too, in the 280 range. Um, but he had maxed it out because his short game, his putting was so good. But that's a hard thing to sustain. And so they were trying to then then he went a little flatter last year. Um, and then this year he had been flat and the scores were going the wrong way. And so we went back and did another hard look at his game forge data, really dug into it. And that's kind of what we're going to do today is kind of walk through that process, what we saw, what we attacked. And then, um, you know, two weeks later, he won. And so, uh, you know, it was nice to see, you know, a really good turnaround. But there were some things that were not real intuitive about his data that you kind of had to dig a little bit. And, you know. <clears throat> As we went through it, you know, his goal has been to increase distance because he wanted to gain more strokes off the tee. And he didn't he did uh, get more get longer. You know, I think he added 10 to 15 yards of length. Um, he's been a good case study for people who are talking about adding length. Um, he's done it very effectively for somebody who's historically been very average length. Um, but his scores are going the wrong direction. And so the hard look was, first of all, is 
something he's doing with trying to add length causing his scores to go the wrong way, or is there something else going on? And that's where you really have to unravel it. No, I think this is really neat for uh, all of all your listeners. You know, if you're a, a coach or a player on a mini tour or trying to be professional, having this understanding of of how all these you know, we've talked about the interconnectedness of golf, how moving certain segments can be a plus or a minus, and also you know, as you're a competitive junior, uh, a collegian, starting to understand, you know, when a coach or I think I need this to create this. I think this will give some great insight on, you know, you know, is the cure worth the disease and vice versa. So uh, let's let's dive in here and really look at what Brian Gay did to become a winner. Yeah, yeah. So so the first thing we I looked at was, you know, he went from, you know, he gained yards off the tee, but he lost accuracy. So the question is, is that a net positive or a net negative? Um, and when I so the first thing I did is I basically did a correlation and said, what is more highly correlated with your scores? how long you hit it or how accurate you hit it. And they were both positive correlations, but accuracy was about four times greater correlation than distance. Now I'm not saying that distance isn't important. I'm not saying distance is not a, um, an advantage, but if you give up too much accuracy, you, you actually go the wrong direction. And we've talked about this in the past. You've got to maintain a certain level of fairways as you get longer. Otherwise you're, you're net, you're, you're net negative. In other words, you're, you're actually losing strokes, not gaining strokes. And so we kind of started with that. You know, greens is always the you know the highest correlation with score as far as ball striking, um, but accuracy was more important than distance. And so you know the the talk there was you know it's great you're longer, but you still but you got to get back up to the fairways you used to hit. You know, I think he got down to about 54 percent fairways, and historically he had been up you know high sixties, I think. So he had lost a good ten percent. Um, He'd gained 10 or 15 yards, but lost 10 to 15% of accuracy. And our, and our rough model is for every 10 yards you gain, you, you cannot give up more than 5% of accuracy. Otherwise, your scores are going to go, go negative, going to go the wrong way. No, I think I think that's really interesting, and I'm glad you threw that caveat because I'm sure I was going to get a lot of Instagram messages saying, um, oh, "Yeah, no kidding." <laughs> so I'm glad you threw that in there. You saved me yeah. some grief. Uh, but no, I think it, again, it, it this is a battle that you know. As a collegiate coach, we fought all the time. We need to add distance to change your game. And we, we tried that with a lot of players, and it worked for some. Uh, and for others, we actually saw negative, you know, I didn't have the data back then, but we, you know, just anecdotally, we saw the negative effects of us trying to move a player by gaining a certain amount of yardage and watch their scoring rates drop or their scoring average drop or actually gain, I guess. So I think what was fascinating is I've seen this in, in person in real time and the positives and negatives of gaining distance. Uh, now to have the data and be able to dig in there and show that to a player is absolutely fascinating. And for a coach, uh, there's no better tool than, than information. Right. And so the next thing we did is we went, we, you know, as you look at trends, so his scoring trend was kind of going the wrong way. So then we'd back into kind of ball straw. Well, I usually start birdies and bogeys, frankly. And the first thing I noticed is that his birdies were down a little bit and his bogeys were up a little bit. They were both moving the wrong direction. And what that always signals to me is you're hitting, he's hitting fewer greens. So the hard part about hitting fewer greens, it's a, it's a double-edged sword in that you're going to lower birdies and raise bogeys simultaneously. Um, if you're hitting the same number of greens and raise your conversion rates, then, then you can raise your birdies and hold your bogey steady. But if you're missing greens, they tend to both move. And so that's kind of a double whammy there. Um, his fairways were lower. His greens were lower. 
Um, and so, so right there, the next thing then is to dig into, you know, accuracy. Okay. You're hitting, uh, fewer greens. Are you hitting them? You know, where, where's that coming from? Is it because you're out of position off the tee? Is it because you have more disruptors? Uh, and what we found with him was that his disruptors had gone really high off the tee. So he would always been pretty low, but there was a big spike in disruptors, uh, from the tee boxes, which is basically on PJ tour, hitting it in the native area or the cart path or behind a tree. Um, there was a big spike in those, um, which he wasn't really aware of. And, you know, some people on his team said, Oh yeah, I've kind of noticed that, but it was particularly pronounced. Um, and his penalties were also higher. So there's a spike in his penalties. So the feeling there was that, you know, he lost some accuracy off the tee for whatever reason, getting him out of position more often, hitting fewer greens, scrambling at a lower rate. And so it was, it was a double whammy. It took, you know, a shot and a half off a score, just that alone. Yeah, that'll do it. Yeah, yeah that'll, that'll do it for sure. <laughs> that'll do it. Especially <laughs> at that level. You lose a yeah. shot and a half at that level, yeah, that'll do it. That's, that, that's a lot. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, that, so then the next step was, okay, let's dive into his approach graph. And let's see if there's any gaps in his accuracy. In other words, are there any particular ranges that uh, he's underperforming at? And the only one we really found, found, frankly, was 140 to 150. But that also happens to be his most common distance. So the, the issue there was, you know, he's hit the highest density of shots he has is 140 to 150. And he was underperforming there. So uh, and a little bit out to 160. So there was, you know, a, club, a couple clubs there where uh, his graph dipped down below optimal. And so, um, so what we started doing is creating a training plan. Okay, what do you need to do? You need to work on your 140, 150, make sure your in positions are up where they need to be, kind of up in the, the 50% range. Um, and, and that was the ball striking issue there. There was also uh, briefly for the first half of the year, like 135, there was a gap. And he said, oh, yeah, he, there was an issue there where he was in between clubs um, and, he, and he fixed it. And the second half of the year, that, that gap disappeared. So something that was interesting to see that he caught and he actually fixed it and the, and the number showed it. No, I, I think, I think it's really important for uh, players and coaches to really think about this. Again, you've got to understand your distribution of what shots you normally have in and where to train. Um, it, you know, in golf, it gets really easy to end up in some wrong spots, training the wrong shot or some wrong distances that you don't really have very often. So again, the, the most fascinating part is he has a gap in his highest area of, of actual um, uh, distribution. So that needs to be a high, highly trained area and make sure you're hitting your number. Uh, I see it a lot collegiately, even on the LPGA players we work with, but they'll have these gaps that are really hurting their scoring chances. So again, without this information, without knowing, it's really hard to create a good training plan to get you where do you want to go? Yeah. And that was a blind spot. You know, you can't get that data off shot link. You know, you can't go to the PGA tour website and see that. Um, whereas, you know, our, the GameForge uh, approach curve graph is very, very easy to understand and, and just stares in your face if you have a problem somewhere. And so that, that was really good for him to just, you know, start designing his training program uh, when he's out on the range where, where to focus his ball striking. Yeah. And, and, and again, go to past podcasts. I think we talked about the core five. What are your five densities you have the most? Let's train those and get those to uh, our, hit our imposition numbers. And if you do that, you have the potential to be able to score. And like you said, that's where Mark's talk, talking about. Now, if you're still not, if you're hitting your numbers there and we're not making enough birdies, now we know it's a conversion issue and, and pieces like that. Right. So the next thing we did is we went to his putting graphs. Now, if we, if we only looked at his uh, GFI, 
Um, his putting is good. You know, his, his IP conversions were 33%, which is above average. So his mid-range putts for birdie were good. His blackjack conversion was good, 71%. Um, his P6 conversion, 81%. They're all above where they should be. But that's for putting. Uh, that's putting for birdie and inside six feet for par save. Um, but as putting overall, there was still a gap there. So what we when when we look at the putting curve, the putting accuracy curve, what we see very clearly was he had a gap from seven to eleven feet. You know, he was good outside that. He was good inside that. But seven to eleven feet was interesting because that's your long par saves, right? Because he wasn't doing that. There weren't birdie putts. It was the long par saves. Uh, not the six feet and in, which is the P6 conversion, but the next zone, you know, zone two there, kind of seven to 12 feet, uh, he had a gap. And so he didn't really know why that was. And, and we actually went out on the putting green a couple of days later um, and just figured out that we cleaned up his aim point technique a little bit. Um, he was kind of doing using memorized reads too far away from the hole. You know, I'm fine with that six feet and in, but he was doing that kind of out to 12 feet. Uh, and the fascinating thing is we did a assessment first where we did, um, you know, two putts inside eight feet. Then we did, I think, six putts, nine to nine to 20 IP range. And he made five out of seven. I mean, he, I mean, he putted a I'm, I'm watching him going, wow, like that was, that was really easy for you. <laughs> like, so where, where's the problem here? And then we started going get back and doing kind of par save range, short par saves, mid length par saves. And then what I saw was he wasn't using aim point, um, in that kind of seven to 12 foot range, he was kind of just remembering the reads and it was just enough to cause a, cause a gap. Um, so we went back to just saying, okay, just do your standard aim point read starting at seven feet. Um, and unfortunately we don't have data from last week when he won, but it'll be interesting to see going forward. If that, if that gap starts disappearing. No, I think that's fascinating. And that, that seven to 12 zone, uh, we kind of track behind the scenes. And I think it's something that we'll be bringing into the system now for the players that are actually keeping hole by hole again that's kind of your 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 save the round putts right those are the seven to 12 foot par saves because if you again if you think a short game we we stress p6 p6 is really important and what that does especially as an amateur and a collegian you know your p6 number really matches your scramble average those two kind of run together but at the tour level uh we see that 10 to 15 percent separation and that's really from them making a couple putts per tournament between seven and 12 feet. Um, we kind of predict seven to 12 feet, you'd be converting over 60%. So that is a way, like I said, if you're working with better players, that seven to 12 foot zone is something you need to train and understand and give them the concept of you need to make 60% of these putts if we randomly drop in the zone. So that concept again is, you know, for a better player, how we, you know, kind of money ball of golf, how can I change, you know, how can I take that next step? How can I remove bogey? How can I really start changing my scoring average? You know, short game wise, that seven to 12 foot, foot par save is really important. And it's very fascinating that, you know, one of the best players in the world, that was kind of a sticking point that was preventing him from performing at the level he wanted. Yeah. It, it, when, when I see that happening, when you see somebody, you know, put spectacularly, but then has a gap in a certain range, to me, there's one or two things going on. Either their process is changing for those par saves or their speed is changing. Right. So sometimes they get those mid-length par saves and they start jamming them really hard or, or and they start lipping out a lot. And so we try to simulate that and just figure out what what is changing, because, you know, 12 feet and out, he made everything he looked at six feet in. He made everything he looked at. But then suddenly there were some misses, misses creeping in there, which was not a mechanics problem. It wasn't a speed problem. It was it was a little bit uh, of a read issue. Just the technique he was using to read just causing enough of an error. Um, and then we just did tons of speed work. And it's just like, go work on speed. Everything else is good. 
your reads good, your lines good, just hammer on the speed control. Um, and, and then he had, so he had his two week training plan going forward at that point, And obviously put it beautifully in Bermuda. Uh, I didn't watch all of it, but the ones I watched, he was draining 15 footers all over the place. Uh, if you're going to win on tour, you know, you got to make putts. So he must've been yeah. playing great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no <laughs> that doubt. is a guarantee. <laughs> so it's, it was a, it was a cool case study because we had to dig a little deeper uh, than normal. Like sometimes you look at a player and you're like, Oh, everything's fine. Except this, you know, everything's fine. Except you don't make enough pots. Everything's fine. But you, you know, your greens are at 10 and they need to be at least 12, you know, they meet, on tour, they need to be 12 plus. And so if somebody gets a little low there and that's a little harder to, to, to figure out with a coach, you know, if somebody's greens are going down, is it a targeting issue? Is it a problem off the tee? Is it an accuracy issue? Is it an equipment issue? You know, sometimes you got to dig a little bit um, to find out the real cause of it. And the nice thing with the trends is you can go back in time and say, when did it start? Right. You can go back and say, I used to hit 12 and a half greens and suddenly I lost a green per round. That's happened in January of this year. What was I doing in January? Right. What's the cause and effect there? And, and go back and unravel that. And, and this to me is, is the, the simplicity and the beauty of GameForge. Uh, it really allows you as a coach or as a player to understand your game and see when things are happening. And, and that gives you the, the, the reflection point of was this a good or a positive change? Uh, you know, we see it a lot with players' equipment change. Like Brian said, he had a gap. He had a little equipment change you know, and he tidied that up, you know. So I think the fascinating part is if you're not tracking this, if you're not understanding what you're doing, it's really hard to make informed decisions to create a, a game plan to get better. And, you know, like I said, and what Mark did so brilliantly was just say, hey, here's where we are and here's what we've got to do in the next two weeks. I can't believe I just said that. I'll get through uh, your name. I can't believe you. I'm kind of in shock right now. That I know. So uh, I'll edit that. Don't worry. It'll be something derogatory. Um, just beep it. Yeah, that's all right. There'll just be a There'll just be a dead <laughs> silence for a moment. Um, <laughs> yeah. but, but again, understanding that concept that each player has different needs throughout a, a season and if you if you track them you watch the trends and you really understand what's happening that's where you as a coach can be the biggest benefit you can jump in before things go haywire too badly you know you can be that reasonable voice in the background saying this is what needs to here's where we need to, to change to get where we want to go so um i think it's just fascinating that quick i'm just looking at his as as trends right now and kind of where he was through 20, most of 2020. And then how, you know, basically October of 20, you know, October of 2020, he went, you know, completely inverted the, inverted the curve, which yeah, is, uh, that's a V shaped recovery right there. That's right. That, that's, that's <laughs> what uh, the United States is trying to do right now with our economy. It's, it's a beautiful, right. you don't, you don't see that inflection very often. Usually it's a gradual trend out, but he actually flipped the, he flipped the script on that one. Yeah, I mean, October, September, he was averaging between one and four over par. And then October, it dropped to almost three under par. Yeah. Like big, big. And that, that was two tournaments, too. That was Ve Vegas and uh, and Bermuda. So he definitely, definitely flipped it there. It's pretty, pretty impressive, frankly. It'd be interesting to watch it going forward. Um, and, and again, what, what needs to be worked on changes over time. So, you know, you might plug that hole right now, but you know, two months from now, something else could very well creep in, and that's why you got to keep your eye on it. No, I think, like I said, I think it's just a, a great case study and a and a good way to start understanding. You know, I think taking a lot of the theory and a lot of the numbers we we've shared with you in the past, and actually applying it to a player at a very high level and showing how these subtle changes 
can make all the difference in the world. So uh, as we're kind of wrapping this one up here, Mark, uh, any closing thoughts on, on, on this or anything else going on? No, it's just, you know, th- this is not always a, um, the answer is not always intuitive. Like again, sometimes it's, it's right in your face, but sometimes you really got to dig and say, okay, I'm hitting fewer greens. Why is that? Is that ball striking or is that from a problem off the tee? Um, and you've got to go a couple layers deep sometimes to kind of get the answer. And, and a lot of times the answer is not intuitive or not really known to the player. You know, sometimes they'll say, well, did you know you've got a gap in this range, just 140 to 150 yards? They're like, no, I had no idea. You know, and that's why the data is so important. It's non-emotional. It's, it's, it's accurate. It's tracked over time. Um, and it, you know, shows you regardless of their memory, you know, what shots they remember hitting, uh, it, it really keeps a, a nice record of what's going on and, and comparing it to a benchmark. Um, it needs to be done. It needs to be done pretty often, frankly. I mean, this is kind of analysis you would do, I would think once a quarter at least. No, I agree. And I, I think the fascinating part is I, I had a player that I was working with. Um, we were kind of going through some of the numbers and we kind of did a, a non, non-formal end of the year synopsis on the phone, just kind of talking through what, what did the player feel and whatnot. And, and uh, this player told me that she felt like she was missing a lot of short putts. So I went inside the GFI and I looked and her putting was was down from where we wanted it. But but the P6 conversion rate was really good. Her IP conversions rate was OK, not where we wanted, but OK. But she's telling me she's feeling like she's missing a bunch of putts, short putts. And her blackjack conversion was really good. So I'm like, well, I don't see it through the GFI. But again, when we went to the putting curve, what we saw was some some really big drops kind of in that, that zone we just talked about, seven to 12 feet. And she was yeah. missing a bunch of putts there. So for her, it felt like short putts being missed, but kind of the P6 and the, and the birdie index showed her that she was doing okay. So again, it, it, you know, you, you, you as a coach and a player need to understand your game and really dive into some numbers. When, when there's a feel, when you feel like something's not right, go look and say, is this what the numbers are showing? Sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. But, but again, having the access to that, I think, is, is an imperative to be a good coach. And, and as a player to be able to take ownership of your game. Yeah. If you're playing for money, if you're playing pro golf, I don't know how you could get by without doing this. And a lot of good players, what you see is they're just so talented. They go out and they play great and everything's fine. And they don't want to bother with stats because they're winning and making money. And then they wake up one day and they're not. And, and then they're like, Oh, uh, suddenly I'm not scoring as well. Why? And they don't have any track uh, record. They don't have any history of their data to understand what piece changed. Um, and a lot of times, like I keep saying over and over, it's not totally intuitive what that piece is. And if you don't have, if you don't have historical data, like good luck figuring it out. No, I agree with that. And, uh, kind of a sidebar here, kind of off of this is I've noticed, I don't Facebook and Instagram or any of that very often, but I've noticed that I've been getting tons of images. It looks like Aimpoint is having a resurgence, not that it's ever gone away, but it seems like on the tour level, I'm starting to see a lot of photographs of a lot of touring pros right now. Maybe it's just yeah. because it's this time of season. I'm seeing a lot of fingers being held up all over the world. Uh, By so good players, too. Yeah, really good players. I'm not really say a lot of that. top 20 in the world, you know, and, and new guys going out there doing it. I, you, know, I, you know, everything takes a long time in golf to, to take hold, unfortunately. Um, much, much longer than I would think. Any point Express has been out there seven years now this month. Uh, literally we're on year seven and I think that it's gotten enough credibility because so many good players are doing it um, and winning with it like over and over. I think worldwide, I think we're up to about 90 tour wins since express came out. That's just express uh, players who have won using it. You know, think about that 90 
you know, that's a, that's a lot of wins on, on the major tour. So, uh, you're going to see more and more of it. And if you do it well, it, it works spectacularly well. You know, if you want to get your conversion rates up to 30, 40% range, um, it's hard to get there without a really good read. No, I agree. And I think, uh, so anybody that's listening, uh, that wants to learn Aimpoint, go to the Aimpoint website, uh, find an instructor near you. Um, and I'm, I'm also always amazed by how many people learn Aimpoint from someone that doesn't teach Aimpoint and it still seems to help them at some level. Like they learned it from their buddy in their foursome yeah. or they, I mean, you, you know, they, you they get do a trickle down version from yeah, YouTube. I mean, you can do it wrong and still be better than you were before. Um, it, it's, it always surprises me how many people I teach you have learned it from someone and they've got multiple pieces wrong, like not dramatically wrong, but they've got enough wrong little pieces that it degrades the read. And, and all of this is just cleaning up their process and getting them to understand how to do it properly versus, you know, some, you know, bastardized version, which there are a few out there, <laughs> but they, but they don't work as well. You know, they degrade. If you don't, if your process isn't clean, your reads not, is going to break down sometimes. Yeah. And I, and I say, if you're a high end player, um, good amateur, collegiate, good junior wants to go to college, college player transitioning to tours, tour player trying to change their, their, their uh, money bin. Um, if you haven't learned aim point and your caddy hasn't learned it, I would really highly recommend you just to go learn it. Whether you apply it or you want to apply it in a different fashion, not, not going to take this and learning that is you're leaving strokes out on that, on that putting green. Um, that's just my little, uh, like a uh, public service announcement, a little PSA for aim point. <laughs> And I am an Aimpoint instructor. So if you want, no, I'm kidding. So if you're in central Virginia, <laughs> that's right. The hotbed uh, of, of golf, um, right. come see me. <laughs> um, so uh, let's go ahead and wrap up the show today. Thank you, Mark. Uh, thank you once again, Brian Gay, for allowing us to use your data and share some insight. Um, if there's anything else you want to learn or need to uh, have questions about, you can definitely reach out to us. Uh, keep the topics coming in. I probably get five to 10 uh, a week coming in. I'd like to learn more about this. Uh, and even sometimes we'll actually reply back. If it's not a, you know, we might even give you some insight um, just from your question being asked. So uh, keep that coming. We're over 9,000 listens, which again is staggering to me. Um, I, we appreciate your time. We appreciate you pushing this message out. And uh, thank you so much. Thank you, everybody.